Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. We are going through the Gospel according to Mark. Let's go ahead and bow our hearts once again and continue our worship by studying God's word. Father, once again, we thank you for allowing us to come together. We thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to break the bread of your word with your people. We pray that you give us all open and receptive hearts. Lord, that that your word would, would sink in and take root. And by your spirit, you'll help us to apply your word to our lives. So, Father, we, we do pray just for a fresh filling of your spirit. I pray for the gift of teaching. And, Lord, we, once again, we just want to glorify you, Lord. We pray that each and every person will leave this, leave this place better than when they came in, Father. You are a God who changes hearts. You are a God who answers prayers. So we just love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so right now we are in Mark chapter 8. Verses 22 through 26, and the title of our study is The God Who Finishes. The God Who Finishes. So I want to start by asking a question that you don't have to raise your hands for, by the way. But I'm just wondering how many of us have projects or something that we've started that we, we just stop working on it in the middle of it. Things that haven't been completed. Maybe you started a book. I've started probably maybe at least five books that I still haven't completed yet. And maybe some of you have started projects at home. And you made a little uh, progress on it. But for whatever reason, you got distracted. Started doing something else. And so it's been put on hold. And one day turned to two days. And. And it turned to weeks and months and for some people, years. And so there's some projects or some things that we started that still have not been completed. And I know many of us have been there or maybe we're there right now. And when we start that project, when we start that endeavor, of course, it's our intention to, to finish but we just don't get to it. I have a spoiler alert for you. And the spoiler alert is that, that the God that we serve, the God that we promote, is not like that. He's not like many of us who start something, but don't finish or can't finish. He's a God who finishes what he starts. And we're going to see this truth in tonight's lesson. And the goal is to take it in. Whatever spiritual nuggets are laid out there for us, we want to take it in and then ask the Holy Spirit who indwells us to to apply what we learn. Because that's our intention. Our intention is to grow or should be to grow. Not just come to gain knowledge and get filled with knowledge, but 
Now we want wisdom. We want to take that knowledge and apply it. We want to show that we have skill in living. That's wisdom. And that's, that's only because of the Holy Spirit indwells us and gives us power that we're able to walk in wisdom, that we're able to apply the word of God to our lives. Left to ourselves, we couldn't do it. And so that's what we want to make our prayer tonight is to, to take this seemingly simple statement or phrase, the God who finishes, and see what we can learn from it. See what God will have us to do. And so we want to look at Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And it says, then he, that's Jesus, came to Bethsaida. And they brought a blind man to him and begged Jesus to touch him. Now, Bethsaida is a village in lower Golanitis. And it's on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it's not far from where the Jordan River empties into that Sea of Galilee. This is also the city near which Christ fed the 5,000 men besides women and children. Bethsaida. And so Jesus is there at that time. And, and we can see here from verse 22 that some people... In that town, in that city, they brought a blind man to Jesus. And they begged him to heal this man. Give this man his sight. So I'm not sure what these people's motives were. Could have had many motives when they brought this man to Jesus to have his sight restored. So we're not sure what what their motive was, but... I just want to touch on something about our concern for other people. Because if we assume that some people brought this man to Jesus out of their concern for him. Because they wanted this man to see and Jesus is in town. So here's your opportunity. If if that was their motive, their concern. The question is, are we as concerned about other people's dilemmas? As we are our own. Oh, we'll, we'll go into the closet. We'll pray till we sweat. We'll get on, on our knees. We'll pray fervently. We'll, we'll, we'll say the same prayer over and over until we get an answer. And we're taught to persevere in prayer. Of course, that's if you don't have an answer. And if that prayer is in accordance with the will of God. And so, yeah, we'll pray hard for ourselves. We'll, we'll, we'll pray hard for those people who are near and dear to us. But I can imagine that some of these people maybe didn't know this man personally. But like I said, I just want to assume that, that maybe, that maybe they have some real concern. And so do we have that same concern for people that we will have for ourselves When we're in a dilemma. And so if you will turn to Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. So we're going to look at those verses. We're going to park there just for a little bit. And we're going to talk about the concern. The thoughtfulness we should have for others. Which goes along with what we've been talking about so far. Now, Philippians 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation, if there is any encouragement 
in Christ. If any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, that's what the capital S, that's what it should be in your Bible, referring to the Holy Spirit. If there's any fellowship of the Holy Spirit, if any affection, if any of you believers have tender hearts, kind hearts, and mercy or compassion, he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Don't let anything be done by, by uh, self-promotion or conceit, which is empty or vain pride. But let, let everything be done in lowliness of mind. And let each person, each one of us as believers, esteem or consider others better or as more important than himself or herself. In Philippians 2, 4, it says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, I wonder if that's the type of attitude and heart we have So I can imagine some of these people may have had for this blind man. My thoughts are that we, we should have this same type of attitude when it comes to people who are spiritually blind. When it comes to unbelievers, people who have not yet repented and put their faith in Christ, in the Jesus of the Bible. See, unbelievers, the scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians 4. That they're blinded by the God of this age. You see, the gospel is not veiled. It's not veiled, but if it's veiled, the scriptures tell us, it's, it's veiled to those who don't believe. And once again, it says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And so that clear message of the gospel is blocked off to them. Their hearts are hardened to it. They are, they're blind to it. And so I wonder if we have enough compassion to bring spiritually blind people to the Lord, just like these people brought this literally, physically blind man to Jesus when he came to town. And we should do that for people who don't believe, who are spiritually blind, because Jesus is the one who can truly help them can truly help them to overcome their situation, their spiritual blindness. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it tells us that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. He does not receive the things that are of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God, the Trinity, he knows the things, the deep things of the Father. And he's able to share them with us as believers, illuminate us, give us understanding of those spiritual things, those deep things of God. But the natural man does not receive them, those things of the spirit of God. Why? Because they're foolishness to him. As a matter of fact, nor can this natural man know them because they're spiritually discerned. Those things of God are, in other words, are are spiritually discerned evaluated they're they're judged to be true by the holy spirit who shows us these things or we read these things in the scripture and the holy spirit 
shows us, yes, this is true. This is who you are in Christ. This is what you have in Christ. This is your future because you are in Christ. And so they're judged to be true by the spirit who indwells us, but the natural man who can't see past the things in this natural world, that's where his or her focus is. It's all they think about, what they're going to eat or drink, how much money they're going to get. What boyfriend, girlfriend am I going to get? What club can I go to? What party can I go to? What alcohol, how much alcohol can I drink? And the thing is that people are missing out on what God's want, God wants to do for them. They're missing out on what God wants to do in them and through them when they're spiritually blind, when they are in that natural state. And they don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. But praise God as, as believers, that's, that comes with the package, the Holy Spirit. The paraclete, the the helper, our comforter, he indwells us. But the natural person, they they can't see past the natural world. They're not going to understand spiritual things. And so if you try to explain to them spiritual things, why is all this stuff going on in this world right now? Try to explain to them that it's a spiritual battle. Then they're going to bring politics and human philosophy in it because that they think that that's what's going to resolve the issue. The natural man without the Holy Spirit spiritually blind and so we need to have that compassion we need to have that willingness to take them to jesus just like they took this blind man to jesus in our study tonight and in the first half of verse 23 in mark chapter 8 it says that jesus took the blind man by hand by the hand and led him out of the town he led him out of bethsaida and we're not given a reason why jesus led this man out of town But I could think of at least two possible reasons. No, Jesus could have led him out of town because some people just wanted to see tricks. They just wanted to see miracles. They didn't want the God of the miracles. Oh, they just wanted to see something fun, something cool. And maybe that would have been a distraction. And I just wonder that maybe that's, a situation we find ourselves in. Maybe God needs to lead us out of our environment because it's so much of a distraction. Maybe he needs to lead us out before he can do that mighty work that he desires to do for in and through us. Things we've been praying about. Well, maybe he needs to just get us out of there and And some of you, maybe God has brought out of an environment that you were attached to. Or you thought everything was going well, but somehow, some way, God brought you out of it. Maybe you got laid off. Maybe something didn't work out the way you thought it would. But God, in his wisdom, the sovereign God, allowed things to fall into place that would get you out of that environment because of too many distractions. You know, sometimes it's when he removes us out of that distracting environment that we can experience him, that we can experience his power and his 
goodness more clearly. And so maybe God is moving that way in your lives. Maybe you've been complaining because of it. Lord, I've been so comfortable, but things have shut down all around me. And could it be that God has something better for you? Could it be that God wants you to experience him like never before? He needs to remove you from the distractions. Could that be the case? Another reason that, that came to mind that Jesus could have led this man out of the town or, or, or why he led him out of Bethsaida. Because maybe he just wanted the man to trust him. The man couldn't see. Of course, he was blind. So Jesus had to take him by the hand. Of, and of course, him at, at one point not seeing who Jesus was, not seeing his face, had to trust this man who grabbed him by the hand and just follow him out of town. And, and maybe there's a lesson there for us. Maybe sometimes he brings us out of our environments or leads us out because he wants us to grow in faith. He wants to build our trust. Oh no, we can't see where we're going. We can't see where he's taken us, but he has us by the hand and we're just following, not knowing how things are going to turn out, not knowing what turn he's going to make. But maybe God wants to build that trust in us. In the second half of verse 23 in, in Mark 8, it says, and when he has spit on his eyes, and some of you may be asking, what, what is up with Jesus and spit? You know, we saw it with the deaf man, put his fingers in the guy's ears, spit, touched his tongue. And so once again, Jesus used spit. Now, I read somewhere that in that day and age, in that culture, that some people believe that there was some kind of medicinal value in spit. And so that could be a possibility. But, but one thing I know is that we can't put God in a box. Is that there's various ways we see that Jesus healed people and, and, and worked out miracles. But when he had spit on this guy's eyes and put his hands on him, he, he asked him if he saw anything. And the blind man looked up. And he said, I see men like trees walking. And then Jesus put his hands on his eyes again and, and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent them away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Don't go back to Bethsaida, Jesus told him. Go home. So, yes, Jesus uses spit. You know, some of you be ready to fight if somebody spit on you. You'll be ready to fight. Some of you are, are you know, you talk to people and, and I'm glad that there's a lot of space between me and you because if, I, if some spittle comes out, it's not going to reach them. Praise the Lord. You okay, brother? But some people will get offended. But Jesus did his thing, put spit on the man's eyes, touched him, asked if he could see anything. And, and guess what? This man was honest. This man was like, I, I can see a little bit, but I, I can see folks moving around, but they, they look like trees walking. In other words, he, he's saying, I could see a little bit, but my, my vision is still blurry. 
But one thing I want to highlight is the honesty that this man had. Now, I don't know if any of you go to an optometrist uh, regularly. I do or try to if my wife sets the appointment. If she doesn't set the appointment, I probably won't go. I think I still have glasses. Actually, not think. I know I still have glasses there that I have to pick up. But if you've been to an optometrist and they start, you'll, you'll notice they start doing all these exams on you, on your eyes. And, and I just hate that little puff test. Why, why would you do that to somebody? Just, just a puff of air in somebody's eye. Sometimes they put the iodine in there, that, but you have to sign off on that. So I don't get that all the time. But then there's this point where they tell you, put your forehead on this machine and they start switching lenses around and they start asking you which one is better, this one or this one. And, and there's come, there comes a point during that exam where I don't even know which one looks better. And so I have to ask them, okay, can you go back? But, but can you imagine if I weren't thorough or honest if they put a blurry one there and I just said, you know what, I have something to do. I can, I can see. That's fine. Can you, can you imagine what, what my prescription would be like? Be a waste of money and a waste of time. And I just, I just wonder spiritually if that's why there, there's so many people who don't receive salvation. Because maybe... They lie about their condition. Oh, instead of being honest and saying, Lord, I, I can't see your, your, your preacher, you're sharing the Bible verse with me, your person in Christ. You're sharing the gospel with me. You're sharing these scriptures with me. You're sharing this biblical knowledge with me. But if they were honest and say, I don't understand, but I want to know. Well, maybe they'll receive that help they receive. Maybe if some people stop lying to themselves saying that they can see that they're really believers, they will stop lying about that and admit, no, I'm blind. I don't have a relationship with God. I'm, I'm ignorant to the spiritual truths of the scripture. You know, you give God an opportunity to step in, but we have to admit Admit, be honest like this man was. No, I can't see. It's still a little fuzzy. And, and, and when I think about that, that, that some people thought that they could see when they really couldn't. I'm talking about spiritually. It, it brings me to something I read in John chapter 9. And you can turn there if you have time to. Or you can write it down. But in John chapter 9, verses 31 through 41, you see something interesting related to our topic. But there's some context that I need to share with you because in John chapter 9, what you'll see is that Jesus had performed a miracle on another blind man. Now, this blind man in John chapter 9 was, was blind since birth. We do have that information about him. Blind since birth. And so Jesus, once again, you spit. He spit on the ground and he, he turned it, that mud into clay. And 
He anointed the eyes of that blind man and he told him to go to the pool of Siloam. And the scriptures tell us that the pool of Siloam or Siloam means sent. And so the man went to that pool after he had that saliva and that clay rubbed on his eyes. He went to scent. He went to Siloam and he dipped. He washed in the water and he came out seeing. When the scriptures tell us that there were some people who ran into him and they saw this man could see now who was blind from birth. But, but they couldn't figure out if this was the same guy. And then the Pharisees jumped in the picture. And they started questioning this man. They tried to present Jesus as a sinner. And, and the man told them, this man who was previously blind since birth, he told them, look, I don't know whether this man was a sinner or not. All I know is that I was blind. But look, now I can see this man gave me my sight back. And so because Jesus had healed him of his blindness on a Sabbath day, and because this man was defending Jesus, they, they put this man out of the synagogue. And so this is where we put, uh, pick up here in John chapter 9, verse 39. They put the man out of the synagogue. And so Jesus found this man. He found this man that they had put out. And this man ends up giving his life to Jesus. Because Jesus revealed himself as a son of God to him. And so in verse 39, Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him, they heard Jesus' words and they said to Jesus, Are we blind also? Now, now you get into the spiritual blindness. And, and Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see. You're lying. You're not honest like the man was in Mark chapter 8. You say you see, but you really can't. And again, we're talking about spiritually at this point. If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, Pharisees, self-righteous person that you see. Therefore, your sin remains now although jesus's purpose for coming into the world was to save and not condemn people as we read in john chapter 3 verse 17 we see also in this verse here in in john 9 verse 39 we see here that that judgment is the result of him coming to those who, re who refused to receive him. So he did not come to condemn the world. But because he came. And because there's some people who refuse to surrender to him. There's some people who refuse to admit that I can't see. That I'm not saved. He can't do anything with them. Because the scripture tells us. That, that Jesus is a physician. And as a physician, he came to help those who were sick. But if you say you're not sick, how can the physician help you? And so it's that, that, that same principle, that same idea here. Judgment is the result of him coming to those who refuse to receive him. They say they can see when they don't. They say they have a relationship with God when they don't. 
They say that they're all good, that they don't need Jesus when we know that's not true. And therefore, because they said that they could see that they're all right with God, they remain dead in their sins. But if they would admit, then they would receive spiritual sight. They would admit their blindness, that that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I have no relationship with God at this point. And I'm deserving of, of, of death. I'm deserving of hell. If they would admit that, that they don't see. How they would receive, they would be candidates for salvation that he's willing to give. And and I just wonder too, as believers, I wonder if we too could be missing out on what God could further do in and through our lives. If we refuse to, to be honest and say, Lord, I read that verse, but I don't understand. We go around pretending like everything's okay. When we're really not. We go around pretending like we're spiritually mature, but we're really not. We go around pretending like, like God, I don't have a care in the world. Like, like God, I'm, I'm not angry, but you really are. Let me tell you something. God already knows your heart. He already knows when you're angry. He already knows when you're frustrated. Oh, he already knows when you have a problem liking somebody or loving somebody. So don't pretend, oh, Lord, I just love everybody. I just like everybody. I get along with everybody. No, you don't. (laughs) You were just talking behind that person's back. But if you would go to the Lord, Lord, I have a problem with this person. They give me a hard time all the time. Help me, Lord, to overcome me. Help me to overcome my flesh. How about in marriage? Oh, Lord, help my spouse to see clearly. What about us? Lord, I have everything together. It's my spouse. Or how about being honest like this man was? Lord, I can't see everything clearly. I'm not the best husband I could be. I'm not the best wife that I could be. Lord, help me. Oh, he already knows. And I wonder as believers, if we could be missing out on all these things that, that, that we could be experiencing because we won't open up and be honest with him. Now, Lord, I, I know you told me to love this person, but right now I'm just seeing trees. He looked like trees. It looks a little blurry. I need your help. You know, the fact that Jesus asked the man if he could see after the first touch showed that Jesus had no intentions of letting this man go when he wasn't finished. You know, he gave this man a second touch, which caused the man to see clearly. And to my knowledge, this is the only miracle in the Bible, the only healing miracle in the Bible where Jesus does it in phases. Gave this man a second touch. Wasn't willing to let him go until he was finished. 
And that brings us to our title that we serve a God who finishes. A God who finishes what he starts. And we see this in the creation of the heavens and earth. And all the inhabitants and all the hosts of heaven. When he finished creating, the scriptures tell us that he finished on, uh, on the sixth day and he rested on the seventh. Not because he was tired, but because he was finished creating. It is a God who finishes. Fast forward to Jesus, fully God, fully man. Come to do the redemptive work that was set in place from eternity. Oh, Jesus, in his prayer to God in John chapter 17, he he told the Father that I have finished everything you told me to do, everything you wanted me to do, I have finished. And while he was on the cross, that's what he said. The last words he said, it is finished. Hung his head and he dismissed his spirit. So, yes, we serve a God who finishes what he starts. And like this former blind man in our lesson, God will give us complete vision. He'll give us complete sight or knowledge or understanding of spiritual things one day. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Because we see the spiritual truth in this chapter about agape love, that sacrificial and that giving type of love that, that God demonstrated. And he gave his only begotten son when Jesus gave his life sacrificially and unselfishly. And so we see the same spiritual truth about God giving us complete vision one day. In this chapter, because in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. See, for now, that is on this side of heaven, on this side of eternity, we see in the mirror dimly. It's a little blurry right now, but then we'll see face to face in heaven, everything in eternity will be more clear. Our vision will be more clear. Our understanding, our knowledge will be more clear. For now, I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. God knows me completely. He knows every one of us completely. And one day in eternity, we're going to know more completely. Maybe not on God's level, but we're not going to be dumber than we are here. I'll tell you that. We're going to know more completely. See, on this side of eternity, we are like children, immature children who only understand things partially or halfway. Oh, yes, we have spiritual sight as believers to see spiritual truths, but but things are not as clear as they could be on this side of eternity in this temporal or temporary world. But in eternity, we'll be like those mature adults who have more complete knowledge and understanding. And we'll begin to see things more clearly. Those scriptures that bugged us that we just couldn't understand. We, we studied back, backwards and forwards. We looked up all kind of references. And we looked up all the Greek words, all the Hebrew words. We, we read commentaries and so forth. And so those scriptures that bothered us that we couldn't figure out, oh, we'll understand those more clearly. 
those prophecies will be understood more clearly. And also we're going to see the, the people of God more clearly in eternity. See, right now we just see people which, you know, just in their flesh. We just see a physical body right now. And sometimes we see the good, the bad, and ugly on people right now. Oh, but one day we'll see people the way God does. That is, in, in eternity we will. We'll see exactly how valuable people are. Why God loves people so much. We'll understand that more clearly. Are we going to see people in glorified bodies the way God sees them? Because in Romans 8.30, it says that those who God predestined, that is predestined or chose beforehand to be conformed to the image of Christ. It says those he called and those he called, he justified or declared righteous. In other words, you have a right standing. And then it says in Romans 8.30 that those who are justified, those who have a right standing with him, those he glorified. So, so God knows what we look like in glorified bodies. And one day we're going to see clearly. Oh, we're going to see each other in glorified bodies. Well, that is the best you. We're going to see the best version of each other in, in heaven. Are we going to see more clearly uh, those, those challenges and their purposes. We're going to see those challenges that help our growth on this side of eternity. That, that we didn't quite understand right now. That we don't understand now. But, but one day we'll see clearly. God, that's why you allowed that. God, that's why you brought that in my life. We'll, we'll, we'll see the clear end to every problem that stumped us on this side of eternity. Oh, we're finally going to see the finish line to that problem. We're finally going to see the, the clear resolution to those problems that bugged us on this side of eternity. But what I'm more excited about, and I hope you're excited about, is that is who we'll see more clearly. Oh, we're going to see the Lord more clearly. Scripture tells us that we'll see him as he is. Revelation 22 says that we'll see his face. That is when we are in glorified bodies. Well, we can't see him in these bodies right now. It says that he dwells in unapproachable light. Can't see him face to face. But the invisible God that we can't see, we, we've seen in the person of Jesus. But, but one day we're going to see him more clearly. All that love that, that we maybe enjoy right now on this earth, we're going to experience it more clearly. It's going to be more vivid to us. But not only will our knowledge or spiritual vision be complete one day, but he'll, he's also going to complete or finish the work that he has begun in us, as it tells us in Philippians 1.6, that being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. You see, he begun a good work in us. We repent it. We put our faith in Christ. We are justified. We're declared righteous. We are not guilty. We have a right standing with God right now. That is our position right now. Now, from that position, 
of justification. We're saved now. From that position, God will continue to do his work. He's going to finish it until the day of Christ. He's going to finish it. But just going back to justification, I want to share with you what it says in Romans 5, 9. It says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Right now, you're saved from wrath. Oh, naturally, we were children of wrath. Born in sin, we were children of wrath, deserving of God's wrath, deserving of hell. But because we are now justified, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Why? Because Jesus took the wrath of the Father for us. So there's no reason that we should have to experience the wrath of God. There's no reason we should be separated from God for eternity. But yes, we are justified by his blood. That is the beginning of his work in us when we say yes to Christ. And like what it says here, again, sticking to justification that we're saved right now. John 5, 24 says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You've already passed from death to life. You're justified. Well, not only are you not guilty, but the righteousness of Christ is put into your spiritual account. So as he sees Christ, he sees you. What a trade-off that was. Jesus took our guilt and, 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 and shame, and he took the punishment for that. And the trade-off is, by faith, we get his righteousness put into our account. And we passed from death unto life, into life. But again, that's just the beginning, that justification. That salvation process is going to be completed. Through the sanctification process, sinning less, becoming more like Christ, and then the glorification, the final stage of salvation where our bodies are now saved. We receive glorified bodies, immortal, powerful, built for eternity, spiritual. In other words, dominated by the spirit. My question is, are you frustrated right now? With your weaknesses. Is there somebody in that state? You're, you're frustrated right now. Oh Lord I'm so weak. I keep messing up. I have these struggles. I keep struggling with my past. It keeps coming back. Oh Lord you know I have a bad attitude. I'm struggling with this bad attitude. Maybe you're frustrated because you know you're saved. But, but you just feel stuck. Maybe you feel like God has given up on you because you had that one blow up moment. Or maybe you feel that God has stopped working in you because you made that one bad decision. But remember that God is still working. This is a God who doesn't give up. He doesn't leave in the middle of his job. He doesn't start projects like we do sometimes and just leave them for years and years. He finishes. The worship team comes up. 
So maybe there's somebody who's struggling with those weaknesses and you think that, man, God is done with me. He doesn't want any part of me. Or, or, or maybe you understand that God is still working on you. Maybe you understand that. And some of us tell people that, forgive me, God is still working on me. He's not through with me yet. You may tell people that. So maybe you're comfortable with that and you know that. But maybe there's somebody who's frustrated with another brother or sister in Christ. Oh, they rubbed me the wrong way. Oh, they, oh, they yell at me every time they talk to me. Oh, we always bumping heads. And maybe that brother or sister in Christ is somebody in your household. But that same thing I want you to remember about yourself, that God is not done with you, that he's still working in you. He's going to finish his work in you. Maybe take that same principle and then apply it to that brother or sister in Christ. That, hey, I know they yelled at me. I know they fuss at me all the time. I'm, I know sometimes they ignore me, but, but I know God is still working on them too. And my encouragement to you would be to do what these people in Bethsaida did, if that's the case, is to bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus in prayer by giving them godly wisdom. And let Jesus lead them. Let Jesus take them by the hand. Let Jesus do his work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you're still working on us. You're still working in us. We thank you that you are a God who finishes and you don't give up. Oh, yes, Lord, and we saw that on the cross. Your son, Father, didn't come down from that cross, but he stayed there. And he finished the payment for our sins. Given us all in this world a chance at eternal life and a relationship with you. And so tonight, Father, we, we celebrate communion because we remember our Savior's death on that cross, that great sacrifice. We remember the body that he gave to be beaten and bloodied and abused for us and we remember that blood that was shed to pay for our sins. No, my Father, it is paid in full. So at this time, as we get ready for the communion part of our service, Wednesday nights we have uh, the elements at the front and back. And we just ask that you use this as a time of examination, asking the Lord to show you any sins in your life that have not been confessed.
We ask that you take this time seriously. Be reverent. It's also a time of remembrance. Remembering that body that was broken for us. Remembering that blood that was shed for us. Oh, and when we do that, we proclaim his death till he comes back. We preach a sermon, in other words, through these actions that our Savior died for us and we won't forget it. So as you feel led, after a time of prayer, feel free to come to the front or go to the back. Um, take the elements, the, the, the cups are stacked. So I just want to remind you of that or let you know if you're new or visiting. And take it back to your seats. You can pray by yourself, of course, to the Lord or, or with your husband or wife. But before I take my seat, because you know, I'm not going to come back up here tonight, just want to thank you all for, for coming out. And thank you for your attentiveness, your prayers. And I know God is using So I just want to ask that God will continue to use you even more, that he'll use you up until he takes you home, until he takes me home. Once again, thanks for coming out. May God bless you. May God keep you. And we love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.